We're backstage at Invenium, Miami. Data 3.0 for Web 3.0 and our focus at this conference on Sound DeFi, the podcast that delivers key insights from today's thought leaders on all things DeFi, blockchain, crypto, and private market asset data. Our next guest is Douglas Borthwick, Chief Business Officer for INX. Let's talk about your panel today on listings, influencing valuations for assets on exchanges and ATS, and your plans for educating the public on what security tokens are. Give us your takeaways from the panel today, Douglas. I think what the panel really tells us is even though we're all doing digital securities in a secondary market, we're all doing it in a very different way. And no ATS is similar. And no product is the same either. And while a lot of people want to talk about real estate at this conference, real estate has to become a little spicier for some audiences to be interested in buying it. A lot of what we talked about was, it's not just about how do you find price discovery in an ATS, it's also about how on earth do you attract people to an ATS to even see the price being there or to see the product being there. Now for my company at INX, our view is let's be as loud as possible to drive people in, but that means you also have to have really interesting products for sale, products that are listed there. No one's going to walk to an ATS in order to see a boring product that's listed, but they're going to run if it's something exciting. You like a sports team? Let me list the token for that. Make it a security. Everyone's going to run in. A rock band? And now you own the music rights? People are going to run in. They want to buy it. 322 Madison Avenue that no one's ever heard of? Probably wouldn't sell very well. You've got hotels that are maybe linked to college towns. That might be exciting because now you have an audience. But it's important to know that, that an audience exists for the asset that you're looking at. And I think that oftentimes we find that there's a rush to get issuers on digital platforms because they all feel rather naked right now. What's important, though, is that we don't spend our time putting on any asset that comes along to us. Instead, we spend time and, and see, does the asset have a community behind it? Are there people that are interested in this asset that we believe in the world, that we can go after and we can pinpoint? Because I don't want the issuer to be thinking, oh my goodness, we need, you know, our max is 2,000 investors. What I want the issuer to be thinking is, we've got 8 million people that want to buy this, but we can only have 2,000 investors. When you're thinking with that mind scale, because you're offering something that everyone wants, or a huge community wants, but you're limited in terms of the number of investors you can have, you're going to see the price discovery being a lot more interesting than if you're offering something that no one wants and we're begging people to come in and buy it. You did an analogy on fleshing out the sports team's platform and what that would look like. Give me, give me a little more of an example of, uh, you know, for a sports team, how this would be used. Well, Socios is a company that does fan tokens, and these fan tokens aren't regulated in any way. Yeah. And you get to vote on what music plays when they come out the tunnel. I'm not talking about things like that. I think that's a gimmick. What I'm talking about is a sports team doing a full registered security with an IPO, but what it links it to isn't the equity in the team, rather it's to a percentage of game day revenues or a percentage of maybe the transfer fees they do. And we've signed the deal with ALK Capital, the owner of Burnley. Sorry, sorry, we, we, we put out an LOI, there's a, a PR out there, that talks about how we're going to be doing this for a Premier League soccer team in the UK. And this is a whole new step. Socios is sort of like, you know, they come to you and say, hey, just sign up here, say, fine, fine, you know, let's go, away we go. With a security token, you actually have to go through the SEC process. You have to put together a prospectus. But what the investor is left with is a real product, <laughs> a real product that's linked to something real. And I think that we're going to find a lot of the gimmicky things that exist in the marketplace today, whether it's NFTs or social tokens or even utility tokens, are going to come under the purview of the SEC in the next you know, year or so. 
and then broker dealers and ATSs like my own will end up doing the KYC, the AML, closing the system. Because right now there's a lot of different financial products that trade in the market that people are told to invest in that aren't within a closed gate or a gated system within the U.S. And in general, it's not in a closed system. Well, the U.S. sees that as money laundering. You uh, mentioned education being necessary to really educate the, the public on what security tokens are. What would that look like? Look, I spent 950 days working with the SEC to educate them on what security tokens are, what the blockchain is, what wallets are. And it's the same education. If you look at the risk factors for our prospectus, it was the first time risk factors had ever been written in U.S. securities prospectus that discussed the risks of blockchain. But people need to understand that. You know, when the VCR came out, people had to be taught the VCR. My parents still don't know. They still need me to do it. And now I need my children to show. So in general, technology is always embraced by the younger population fast, you know, first. And then it moves up to the older population. Now, the older population has the money. The younger population has the tech know-how. And so what we need to do is merge the two together. So you need to get something that appeals to youth but have their parents pay for it. And that's how you really get education to move as fast as possible. Now, everyone wants to educate themselves if they believe they can make money on something, on the most part. And so you've also got to make sure that you know, you're showing people things that are actually going to be positive, that's going to give them some sort of positive ability. I think of it as being it's the democratization of finance. On my platform, you can trade 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If you're in India and you want to trade U.S. equity, why do you have to wake up in U.S. time zone to trade it? Why can't you trade it in your time zone? If you can't afford to buy one share of Amazon, why can't you buy a fractional share of a digital security? We've got 18 decimal places behind our token on the INEX platform because we believe in the future. Well, maybe there'll be some appreciation in it, but also you're going to find fractional ownership. And fractional ownership doesn't really exist in the U.S. system today, and neither does 24-hour trading seven days a week. But we're going to have to educate people not just about the new product, but also about the ability of what that new product represents. Even self-custody is something that isn't, Americans don't even know what that is. Now, when you ask your, your parents, where exactly do you get your custody, your equities? They'll say Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, Fidelity. If you ask someone under 30 years old, they say, I don't know, Robin Hood. Yeah. <laughs> and so to folks under 30 that are about to inherit all of the assets held, and this is the greatest generational wealth transfer in history, these guys don't care about custody. They think that everything's custodied in their phone. And they'll go into their phone and they'll be able to show, here's my custody of USDC or, or digital you know, uh, currencies. Here's my NFT collection. Here's my NFT of my driver's license, my passport, uh, my VAC certificate. And here's all of the securities that I own that I'm self-custodying in my wallet. And the future is going to be a lot different compared to today. Custodians will probably hang on for dear life for as long as they can. But given that smart contracts are so smart that they're becoming extremely hard to steal the token, you know, why build a great chicken coop if the chicken is really hard to steal? What are the barriers to getting to what you're describing and what timeline do you see is realistic? Well, Jay Clayton, after uh, he was the SEC commissioner, the last SEC commissioner, you know, after we spent our time putting our prospectus together, he came out and did a speech in Philadelphia before he, he left. And he said, in the next three to five years, all assets can move on to the blockchain. That was a year ago. So in the next two to four years, you could see this fundamental shift. How long did it take before Americans picked up cell phones? For 10 years, we all made fun of cell phones. We said, they're bricks. I don't want someone to call me when I'm on my commute. It's going to give me ear cancer. And then, now, today, people have 2.4 mobile devices per person in the United States. 
technology first is poo-pooed and then it's embraced extremely quickly. Now, first it's going to be, it's sort of one of these crawl, walk, runs. First, it'll be the OTC companies with market caps, 50 to $150 million. Then you move on to the 250 to 350. There's 13,500 companies on the OTC. And then the NASDAQ companies start to take notice. And the bankers start to take notice because if I can raise money for someone, but it's not debt on their balance sheet and they're not diluting equity, they're going to start coming to me as well. And I have some very large companies looking to do security token offerings for maybe specific projects within their company. Or maybe they're just looking at it as being just a, a different way of doing a financing. Because I think every CFO would rather not dilute equity and they don't want to add more debt. But if they can take a percentage of something in the future that today doesn't exist, they'll do it every time. You mentioned uh, plans for a legacy media campaign. Talk a little bit about what that'll look like. Well, I think that traditionally the security token players haven't really thought about how do we sell to security token folks. So, you know, we've partnered with a company that I don't think we've announced it yet. But it's a legacy media company gets something like one and a half million hits per day. And they talk about equities. They talk about fixed income. They talk about currencies, commodities, crypto. And we'll own the digital asset space there. So, But if someone owns, let's say, a mining company or a gold mining company, and I have a gold miner that's raising money on our platform, everyone that's ever sort of hovered over that gold mine or bought gold, a commodity, will be presented with this opportunity. And they'll be you know, driven towards the website. And it's using digital marketing very surgically to go after people that are very interested in something or have expressed an interest. Now, 66% of Americans own stocks, but maybe 0.0005% own digital securities. I think it's something like 18% of the U.S. owns crypto. 64% of the U.S. believes crypto is going to be huge. So the voting block for crypto is around 60-odd percent, and it goes across all uh, races, all income strata. You know, if you're a politician these days and you vote against Bitcoin or crypto, you're getting voted out of office. And so what we have to do is be able to go after all of these different folks where they are because they're not going to walk into a security token arena. Instead, what they have to go out there, we've got to go to them. You know, you got to fish where the fish are. And right now, I think a lot of people have been fishing in the same pond and said, well, if this guy bought a security token and that guy bought a security token, maybe he'd still be interested in buying my security token. That's not how the market works. Just because someone bought Reebok doesn't mean they want to buy Nike. You know, you've got to go where the people are. And so we're doing that. We're expanding it in a big way. What are your thoughts on Invenium? I think Invenium's got a really interesting business model. You know, they're obviously working with a lot of ATSs. I think they're doing a great job. I've known Frank Walzak for a very long time. I think that I need to do further discovery into how we can bring Invenium into our landscape. I certainly think that folks that are buying private assets need information. They need data. I think Invenium's doing a very good job in sort of helping any sort of issuer and any platform give that data to the end investor. So, you know, I've got a lot of work to do myself in figuring out how Invenium can help me, but it's certainly from what I see from them helping other people, it's certainly an important conversation. Great chat, great panel. Thank you, Douglas. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Backstage at Invenium Miami, Data 3.0, Web 3.0, this is Sound DeFi, the podcast that delivers key insights from thought leaders on all things DeFi, blockchain, crypto, and private market asset data. Thanks for listening. <laughs>